The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Last week we began our series in the art of neighboring and we concluded last week that when Jesus summed up all of the Ten Commandments, all of the commands of God, uh, He said that uh, to do all of these, really it comes down to two primary things. And the first one was that we love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. If I could put that in, in, in more current terms, it might be that we love God with reckless abandonment. Uh, that everything that we are, we love Him with it and give honor to Him. And then second, he said, like the first, is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, it's easy to become metaphorical about our neighbor and, and just say, yeah, we love our neighbor and it become uh, that we, we love the world. And yeah, we're to love the world, but did Jesus literally mean to love our neighbor, our next door neighbor? And I think that that's primarily what Jesus was getting at was that where God has placed us by His sovereign providential hand in our lives, every one of us as believers, He has put us in a community, He's put us in a place that we are surrounded by those that He desires to display His love through us to them. And so as we looked at that last week, I was encouraged to get a lot of response from the congregation. One lady in the congregation had shared with me that her initial step in beginning to love her neighbors was that she has now begun a Facebook page that's just specifically for her neighbors so that they might get to know each other and interact in their lives. I had another lady share with me the other morning that as she was leaving her neighborhood that morning that JMO was just on her mind. And I looked at her and I said, what? She said, yeah, I couldn't exit the neighborhood without stopping and speaking to the two teenage kids that have lived two doors down from me for several years, and I have never gotten to know the family. So I rolled down my window and I and I told them who I was, and I asked their names, and they told me. And she said, well, you know, I want you to know that on my way to work this morning, I'm going to pray for y'all that y'all have a good day at school. And that was the initial step to that. And there were several others that shared with me, as the Holy Spirit has resonated in our hearts, to realize that He wants to use us for His kingdom purposes. Isn't that neat? And He wants to use us right where we are. But this morning I want to talk about one thing that is kind of, uh, as I've examined this, what's one of the greatest barriers that I see in my life, and I'm sure many of you relate, to making time or investing time to get to, our, to know our neighbors, and that is the time barrier. Would anybody say amen to that? Uh, how many of you had time to get to know maybe one or more names in your neighborhood this morning? How are you doing in your sheet? Well, the question comes to bid in my mind that as I think of making time to get to know my neighbors is, do I really have enough time to get my, to know my neighbors? I mean, I ask the question, and maybe some of you ask the same question. Uh, do I, I don't have time to maintain the relationships that I already have. 
how in the world am I going to carve out time to get to know other people in my neighborhood so that I might just simply love them? My life is so hectic and I'm so uh, on a fast pace that when I'm driving into my neighborhood, the only thing I think about is getting home and getting in the recliner. Anybody else like me in that? And when I'm leaving my neighborhood, I realize that I only have five minutes to get to where it takes me ten minutes to get, and I'm zooming out of my neighborhood to get to where I've got to go. And then I ask the question, are we living at a pace in our life? Are we living at a pace that allows us to be, and here's a key word, available to those who live around us? So the question we need to ask, are we living life at a pace that gives us the availability to get to know those that are around us. And we all agree that when Jesus commanded that we love our neighbor, He meant that we love our neighbor. And it means we're going to have to make some time in order to do that. Well, there are three myths, I think, that are out there that we need to first dispel if we're going to make time in our lives to be available to get to know and to love our neighbor. The first one is this. There's that myth that someday things will settle down. Right? When I was younger, it was okay. When the kids are raised and they're out of the house, parenting never stops. Amen? When I finish this project, then I'm going to have more time to get to know my neighbor. Or when this particular season, it was in my kid's life, and now maybe it's in your grandkid's life, when softball is over, then I'm going to get to know my neighbor. That was before they had softball 12 months out of the year, right? And so that first myth, and can I clue you in on something? It will never settle down. I remember when my kids were in diapers, I used to pay $8.88 for a pack of diapers. How many of you have bought diapers lately? We're talking 40 bucks north, right? And I thought, man, I can't wait till my kids are out of diapers because then I'm going to save that money. Ha, ha, ha. That never happened. Listen, someday things will not settle down unless we make some change. Second one is this. Someday more will be enough. We live in a culture, and thank God, I think thank God, sometimes I'm not sure if it doesn't interfere with what He's called us as the body of Christ to do, to be on mission. Um, But can I tell you that someday it will not be enough stuff. I can't wait until I retire and then I'm going to be able to... I'm taking a risk. I can confess that. Someday I'll be able to play golf five days a week. Did I step on any toes? Or, you know, when I get to that point where I can get that second place down at the lake that I've always wanted. And we realize that more stuff in our lives requires more stuff from our life. The third myth we need to dispel is this, that everyone lives this crazy, hectic life. Everybody lives like this. And the fact is, no, they don't. 
God never intended for us to live that kind of fast-paced life. Now, I know that cuts against a cultural norm, but we're going to see why I make that statement in just a couple of minutes. You see, I've come to realize that what God desires for us to live in life is, is what I've termed a value-based life. A value-based life. As I thought about this, I realized that in life, we really only have two resources at our disposal. And those two resources that are at our disposal, number one, are the material resources that we have. Some have more than others. And the only second resource that I find God speak of all through Scripture is that He has given us time. Now, they are numbered, right? But we have those two resources in our lives. One remains constant until the very end, but the other can be gone like that. You see, the material resources, they come and go. They ebb and flow. But time always remains the same in this life. And God has desired and He's called us that we live our life in a value-based life. And what I mean by that is this. That those things that we find that God values as disciples of Jesus, we need to live our lives based on those same values. Because I assure you that all of your resources will go to whatever you value the most in life. Somebody said it this way. If you want to know where somebody's heart is, check their day timer. I can't use that in the second service. They don't know what day timers are. <laughs> check your day timer and check your checkbook, and they don't know what a checkbook is either. You see, I found in life that where my values are, that's where I expend my resources. And we can always determine where our values really lie in how we use the resources that God has given us in our life. Put it another way, how we use our resources reflect what we value. I did a lot of contemplating on this as I looked at Scripture. And I, I, I came to the point, God, I know you want me to live my life with the values of those things that you value. Would you agree with that? He's our master, we are his disciples, and he would desire for us to live our life in such a way that it's based on the values that he values. And as I look through the whole of Scripture, I see the one thing that, value, that God values above all, and that is relationship. We see it all the way from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, when you take the whole of Scripture, what we might say is the whole of Scripture is God's progressive revelation of His plan to redeem, to bring back that which has been broken between Him and man, and that is relationship. And thank God He sent His Son, Jesus, so that we could be restored back in relationship to that. But it doesn't end there, does it? The day that you were saved and you came into a personal relationship with God, God did not say, okay, great, now we're in relationship, now you go off and make it on your own. But He continues that relationship with us day in and day out through fellowship with us. So would you agree with me that God deeply values relationship? You see, we see it in the nature and character of God, don't we? We have God the Father, we sang the song this morning, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are in complete relationship. They are one. And so we see it in the heart of God. We see it in His nature and character. And God desires that we would have that kind of life in relationship, not only with Him, but also with others. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, one of the things that I believe Jesus demonstrated and what he's implying in this verse is that he wants us to have the life that he has in relationship. And those things that are valuable, that is the abundant life. I shared a couple of weeks ago, and I'll share it again. When my dad was passing... In that assisted living room, I realized that his whole life, all that he had labored for, fit in that one little room. The weekend before he passed, some 150 or so people came through to see my dad. They knew he was passing, and I realized what's in this room doesn't matter. What's matter what matters are the relationships that he had throughout his life in the years. That's what mattered at the end. So Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly you know as a pastor i have the opportunity i say opportunity i I, and butch you would understand this relate as well many conversations that i'm able to have with people when they know that their life is closing coming to an end and those are some of those times that resonate in a person's heart where they realize that eternity is only a breath away and they begin to reflect on their life. You know, I have never heard anybody say at the end of, the li- at the end of their life, I wish I had worked more. I never hear anybody share with me at the end of the life that if they could do it over again, they would have gone to more Georgia Bulldog football games. This is where I start meddling, okay? Georgia Tech for you. Okay, I got you in there. Or I had wished I'd watched more ESPN. I've never heard anybody say, you know, I just never had enough time to finish all that stuff at the lake house that I wanted to have done. I've never heard anybody say, I wish I'd had more time just to travel. And all of these things are good and they're okay. However, what I've always heard people say at the end of the life, that they almost always regret not investing in relationships. Most often, it has to do with family. But in the broadest sense, they realize that, boy, their life was spent on all these other things rather than the thing that God values. I read this week, Billy Graham. He was asked the question, What regrets do you have in life? This was somewhere in his early 90s when he was asked the question. And this is a lengthy quote, but let me read it for you. And notice that through the quote, there are a lot of things that deal with time. Billy Graham said that when I look back over the schedule I kept for 30 or 40 years ago, I am staggered by the things we did and the engagements we kept. Can I take a side note? I love how he said we rather than I. Sometimes we feel we flittered from one part of the country to another, even from one continent to, the, to another. And in the course of only a few days, we would go from place to place. And then he asked the question, were all those engagements necessary? 
Was I as discerning as I might have been about which ones to take and which ones to turn down? I doubt it, he said. And then he said this. He said, every day that I was absent from my family is gone forever. He went on to say, I would have also spent more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so that I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer, in fellowship with Him, not just for myself, but for others. I would have spent more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its message to my life. Lastly, he said that I would have given more intentional time to fellowship with others. Billy Graham. We'd be shocked, Billy Graham. But he talks about the very thing we're talking about this morning. You see, in order to do this, though, I recognize that in my life and in your life, sometimes it requires us to make some difficult decisions to be intentional about loving our neighbor. You see, we make choices, but I would say this, that if we are truly serious about loving our neighbors, then some adjustments in our life are going to be necessary. You see, God may call us to say no to some good things or okay things. To say no to some good things or okay things and intentionally say yes and focus on things that are really of value and importance. Not all that we do are bad. I heard the acronym one time when somebody was sharing about their busy life and they came to the conclusion that the word busy in the Christian's life sometimes can be that we're bound under Satan's yoke. I like that. You see, he'll, he'll lay all of those good things there and tempt us to those and and they're not bad things in themselves but they keep us from the main thing and that is relationship Jesus modeled that lifestyle didn't he when you think of Jesus's life recorded in the gospels I know of several instances where Jesus and his schedule were interrupted for those moments that he knew that relationship was important do you remember the time where Little children were coming to Jesus, and his disciples were saying, Wait, 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 wait a minute, no man, he's too busy for that. And Jesus said, No, 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 no. Brings the children in his lap. You see, I'm realizing that sometimes I schedule my life to such a degree that I don't allow the Holy Spirit to move into my schedule so that he might do through me what he wants to do through me. Anybody else with me on that? Jesus modeled that kind of life for us. And again, I'm reminded that we are to be His disciples. That He desires to live His life through us. And if He's going to live His life through us, we need to, and this sounds crazy to even say this, we need to allow time for Him to move His life through us so that we can intentionally reach out to love our neighbors. And remember, we said the motivation of loving our neighbors is not to evangelize them. 
I was thankful I didn't get any emails about that comment. You see, the desire is we want them to know Christ, but Jesus' command to us was to go and love our neighbors. And in loving our neighbors, as John and Rhonda shared on the video, those opportunities will open up for us to share the hope that we have with them. You see, there's a trust in relationship that builds there. You see, we also got to be intentional in this matter. Um, sometimes we live our life on a hope to. Well, I hope to be able to, and I hope I can. Well, I hope someday I'll have the opportunity to meet my neighbor. It's been 25 years, but maybe I hope that someday I'll be able to meet them. And we have to shift in our life. I have to shift in my life from a hope to do to a will to do. Does everybody catch that? There's a determination that I have to say, you know, if I keep hoping to, I won't. But I need to shift and do a will to do so that I might love my neighbor. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's God that works in you and in me to will. In other words, in our flesh, if I can put it this way, in our flesh, we don't want to will to do what God desires for us to do, right? I'm honest. You are too. So my prayer needs to be, God, would you please open my eyes and open my heart and change my heart so that I will engage in what you desire for me to do you see if you're living the christian life and you're living it all in your will you're going to fail miserably and i will too we've all been there but it's the power of the holy spirit who works in us to will to do according to his good pleasure i remember when my kids were growing up um there are always the pressures that we had, and, and I'm, I'm glad my kids aren't growing up today because the pressures are even more in different stuff that they can get involved in than they were when my kids were growing up. And we had to make some hard decisions. One of those decisions that we made was you're only allowed to do one thing at a time. And maybe it was a little selfish. I wasn't thinking about the neighboring thing at the time. I thought, you know, my life's not going to be dictated and controlled by all my kids' wants. But I thought about it as, as I begin to age, and, and the kids aren't there now. I've got the grandkids and, and all of that. But life is really no different now than it was then. Because I recognize that there are some things that I have got to be intentional of saying no to in my life and engaging in other opportunities and other activities so that I might have time to be intentional to love my neighbor. I had the thought this week that, you know, I, I don't know, how many of you live by a written budget? A few hands. I thought, you know what, I, I live that way, but have, I had never thought about budgeting my time in the same fashion. And one of the things we learn about good financial principles is that a part of our budget, we need to have some uh-oh money. That's what I call it. You know, it's like uh-oh the bad thing is when you have five O's in a row. 
But, but I need to budget my time with some utmost time in my time budget. And this is not a time management class. These are just some things that, that have come to my mind so that I might be able to be engaged and be available to be more intentional. The other thing I recognize is I need to have somebody in my life that says no. I was sharing with my guys yesterday morning in our discipleship group. We meet together on Saturday mornings, and there's that area we talk about accountability. And I told them, I said, guys, I've got this problem. I lean so much to relationship that I'll fill all of my time with a relationship with folks that I know and don't carve out time to get to know others so that I might love my neighbor. And so, guys, I'm asking you, can I be accountable to you? And next Saturday when we meet, I'm going to show you my weekly schedule and my calendar. Somebody's got to be able to say no to me. Or, J-Mo, that's not a wise use of that if you'd so desire to be intentional to love your neighbor. And then the other one occurred to me. This is going to sound shocking. Self-admission. You know, I recognize I never really asked the Lord, Lord, is this a good thing to put on my schedule? He owns it all, doesn't he? He owns my life. Or he, Lord, is this a good thing to put on my schedule? And let him tell me yes or no. You see, the question is, it really came to my mind. When we sing the old song, I surrender all. Or somebody rewrote it and said, I surrender one-tenth. I surrender, you know. But I realized this week, I have not surrendered my calendar to him. Anybody else with me? Okay. The good for the great. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. A story that we all are very familiar with. Beginning in verse 38, we read, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> quick, quick, I, I don't mean to be, I, I would have said, man, I'm not getting between the two of you, right? <laughs> Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Notice it says that Martha was distracted. Um, and, and she gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Have you ever been reprimanded for serving Jesus? Jesus. 
I mean, I mean, you'd think that Jesus would have, I mean, he came, he was invited to her home, and he goes there, and she wants to prepare a meal, and she's all excited about serving Jesus, and she gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. Sometimes, churchianity has taught us to spend all of our time serving Jesus. Please hear me right that even that gets in the way of doing that which is most important. She was distracted by many things. And, and then he says to her, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. Now I know in, in immediate interpretation of this passage, we would take the application that she was learning and we need to spend more time with Jesus. How many of you have heard that preach? We need to spend more time with Jesus. But when I go deeper than this, what Jesus is saying is, Mary has chosen the good thing, and that is to invest in relationship. Mary's chosen. That's another application of this. Not only that we spend more time with Jesus and His Word close to Him, but love God with all your heart and love your relationship there's some cultural norms that were busted wide open in this event whether we see it or not because you see when 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 an individual sat at someone else's feet in that culture and that day especially Jesus as being called rabbi it would have given the relationship there of a teacher and a disciple. And in that culture and that day, it was taboo for a woman to sit at a rabbi's feet. You see, her place was in the kitchen. Don't misquote me this week, okay? <laughs> a woman's identity was strongly tied to how well of a host she was. That was her place. And Jesus was willing to break a cultural norm. Mary was willing to break a cultural norm so that she might focus on that which is best. So it tells me that I need to be willing to break some cultural norms in order to do what Jesus has told me to do, and that's to love my neighbor. You see, it will require some shifts. The question is, am I willing to make those shifts? In closing, let me share with you what a gentleman by the name of John Ortberg said when he coined the phrase, hurry sickness. Anybody suffer from hurry sickness? He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time. And time is the one thing hurried people don't have. You see, hurriedness is a toxin to loving relationships. Have you ever sensed when someone's trying to rush you along, hurry you along, you're with them, but you know that they're 
checking their watch, they're checking their phone. Of course, today everybody has their face in their phones. That's not a good thing, by the way. That sense that you get when you know that you're with somebody, but they really don't want you with them because they've got something else they want to move on to. Let's flip it around. Have you been with anybody recently where they're with you, but you're trying to hurry them along? Last week I had guests that were, Sandy and I had guests that had come to visit us from Florida, and they came by on Monday to visit here at the office, and, and, and I had to be at work. Um, but these are guests that we've known for 30-something years, and we spent several years with them in Florida, haven't seen them in several years. They made their way up through Georgia just to see us, to spend time with us. And in my mind, I thought, okay, I've spent an hour with y'all. It's time for y'all to leave. I, Jeff, forgive me. He watches the sermons a lot. And I thought, Jamo, you're a bonehead. You're preparing a message on time barrier and developing relationships, and you're trying to hurry them out so you can get back to what was on your agenda. What was on my agenda could have been taken care of the next day. Are we hearing it? Here's some applications, conclusions. We need to keep the main thing the main thing, and that, folks, I believe, biblically, is relationships. Keep the main thing the main thing. I, I, I've got to learn to eliminate some time stealers. It's not that they're bad things, but they steal my time, and they keep me from doing the main thing. Number three... Be interruptible. Let's build some time in our week so that we can be interrupted by those moments that I believe in God's providence or the direction of the Holy Spirit that He wants to use us. I put one on here that's not on the screen. Be intentional. I've got to be intentional about building relationships and loving my neighbor. And let's remember, a disciple follows his master. Let's follow Jesus. He modeled this to us. Father, we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.